Welcome back to the Waypoint What's the Point podcast. Did I have that right? This is my first time hosting. And you're going to do a great job. Yeah, All man. right. Well, welcome back. This is the Waypoint podcast where we explore everything in the life and ministry of Waypoint Church. I'm Peter Fry, one of the pastors here, and it's my joy to sit down today. Well, well, I'll let them introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Lawrence. I'm Danny, and excited to, to be back in the podcast and just to continue. In the to, studios. In the studio, yeah. Waypoint Studios. We're back in just the front conference room. Well, it's summer here at Waypoint, so the podcast has been a little sporadic in our summer rhythms, but we have Lake Day coming up this Saturday, and we're going to have some cold treats including popsicles, and I want to hear from you guys. What is your favorite summer cold treat? Ice cream with Reese's Cups and banana. Yeah, I like all kinds of ice cream. I definitely like the Froyo, like where you can go and pick some stuff. And I, Now, do I'd you say, go for the original tart, or do you go for the like? No, I go crazy? for chocolates and, okay. and things. Okay. I, I do like to try the different ones, but I end up always getting the chocolate-ish stuff. So I'm, I'm a chocolate buff. Pistachio. And pistachio is good. And then I end up, I end up, I'm cheap, so I don't like to put a lot of heavy stuff. So I, so sometimes my decisions aren't just what tastes best. It's if something tastes good but it's heavy, (laughs) it's gonna weigh my thing down. You know how they do it by the weight. So if there's no lighter stuff, you go with yeah. So I go for the lighter stuff, but I also go for the stuff that maybe I wouldn't get at my house. You know, so but I'm I don't mind crushed candy bars, and I actually there's not many around, but I used to like the the Dairy Queen. Blizzards where you could get oh, yeah. yeah different oh, yeah. so I, I kind of I kind of like but mm. I but I like chocolate ice cream better than vanilla ice cream even with the extra stuff whipped in how wow. about you Peter what's I, your cold treat I don't know that I've ever put that much thought into a froyo <laughs> <laughs> I'm cheap thinks <laughs> about all this stuff I'm a fan of this is my recent favorite is the pineapple milkshake from cook, cookout yeah. okay yeah pineapple milkshake pineapple it's good. Okay. Well, that's good. All right. Well, yeah, it's refreshing. It's ice cream. It's delicious. <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump into it. We want to talk about we have some proposed bylaw changes, and it's been an ongoing conversation here at Waypoint in regards to our leadership structure. And we just want to dig into that conversation a little bit, answer some of the questions that we've had from people in the congregation. And so to start that out, let's talk about the New Testament and what is the New Testament model for church leadership? How should a local church be structured? Uh, That's a great question. And I think the difficulty comes from that it's not clearly laid out exactly how to run and structure a local church. As a matter of fact, even the idea of how we look at churches nowadays is not really the same as it's always been. And I think some people look at that as a, as a difficulty of the Bible. They look at that as like, oh, yeah. I wish the Bible did this. But I think that's also one of the geniuses and the beauty of the Bible. Mm-hmm. That God intentionally didn't make it say everything had to be this way, this way, every single time. He left it open to the work of the Spirit to guide in each different setting so that if you're having church in you know, a closed country, mm-hmm. if you're having church in, in a, a poor country, or if you're having church in different cultures at different times, in different regions, in different societal norms at the time, the church can still operate um, well and, f- and function well, led by the Spirit, without having to be so rigid to one specific way of doing things. Yeah, we have the New Testament is beautiful, and it yeah. gives us everything we know, we need to know how to run a local church in every cultural context throughout 
history. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's one of the beautiful things we have. I've been, I've personally gotten blessed by churches in all different cultures who do things all different kinds of ways. Uh, but at the same time, if you ask the average American Christian, name me like your three spiritual heroes or whatever, probably all three of them are from different camps that disagree on church leadership structure, baptism, uh, all, all the different things. We have, diff- we have many different denominations. We have three major in the, in the Protestant tradition and in the Orthodox tradition that we're kind of coming from, there's, there's actually three major divisions on how to structure a church, so we can't even agree. And then among those three major divisions, there's lots of minor divisions. Mm-hmm. So there's actually probably 10 or 15 different ways that Americans structure a church, mm-hmm. just Americans. And even inside a denomination that kind of gives you a guideline, they still structure it differently. Then when you go to other cultures— in other situations, like Lawrence said, they're even structuring it differently. That's the beauty of the Bible. We don't have Third Corinthians where it says, here's how you should structure a church. you got to do it this way or you're sinning. No, it gives us principles. Almost all the passages we have about church leadership are a church leader like Paul or Peter or John exhorting the church on a problem that they had or something. It's, mm-hmm. it's not even like it's, it's telling them how to run the church in their context and giving— so we're gleaning from that, and it's, and it's a beautiful thing, and we, we know how to run a church, but, we, but what we, one church does t- doesn't have to be how every church does it for all time. So we, we would say that's the New Testament vision of running a local church, is it's very, very clear in some parts of what you need, and then the other parts, it really leaves it open to the Spirit to guide the local congregation in their culture and their context. So are you telling me this is a tier two issue? <laughs> yes, we would we would have to say that. We'd say having a local church and having leadership and raising up leaders who love God and, and, and hate sin and want to strive toward holiness and, and repentance and having practiced the sacraments and practice baptism is tier one. Right. Yes. Tier two is how do you practice the Lord's Supper? How do you do you go with Luther? Do you go with Calvin? Do you go with Aquinas? Do you which which guy, which which moment? How, how do you, do, is your Sunday morning need to be an hour long, 30 minutes? Do you have a meal? Like and, all those things, like how you structure it is tier two. And even the idea, like very fundamentally speaking, in American church right now, we have this, these concepts of congregational churches, uh, kind of a bishop or Episcopal-led churches. And or Presbyterian churches. Presbyterian churches. And these are all very different ways that people argue from the Bible that their way is the correct biblical way. Mm-hmm. But it's just not that clear. Right. If and it was clear, we would we, we wouldn't argue. The virgin birth is very clear. Like we don't argue about that. That's mm-hmm. fixed doctrine, tier one doctrine. We we know that Jesus is fully God, fully man, born of Mary, born of a virgin. That's clear doctrine. How to run a church? What it, do you run? John Calvin's way, John Wesley's way, Charles Spurgeon's way. All three of those guys disagreed on how to run a church, and we love them all. We sing their songs. We quote their. We, we studied the Bible with them, and they, they couldn't agree on how to run a church. That's okay. If it was clear, we, we, we would know. We know lot, tons of principles on what we need to do. It's the nitty-gritty where God gives us the Spirit and, and allows the local church to, to flesh it out. And I would say even at the New Testament time, they were fleshing things out because that's why they're getting correction of, you need to do it this way, or, or here's a principle. And, and Paul corrects this church this way and corrects this church using a different 
the same principle, but a different method of how they're going to apply that principle. And if you look at the New Testament churches in church history, you saw that churches were very different. The church in Rome was very different from the church in Antioch. The church in Antioch is very different from the church in Colossae. And these were all radically different churches, how they functioned. And they're all radically different than the Jerusalem church, right. which was the, Jerusalem the founding church. church. very different. Yeah. And how they operated, how they functioned, how they did leadership, how they practiced elements of the worship was very, very different. But in the book of Revelation, when Jesus is writing letters to the churches, he doesn't condemn them and how their church governance was. Mm. That's not what he condemns them for. Mm-hmm. You know, he speaks about their actions, their their what they were, their character, the, the what they were teaching and preaching. He would never condemned them for well, you had the wrong type of governance. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. One of the observations I've made in my couple of months being here at Waypoint is that one of the most beautiful things we have here at Waypoint is people from all kinds of backgrounds who have landed on different points in the spectrum of tier two issues from how we practice things on Sunday morning worship to how we structure the leadership of the church. So as we approach this conversation and answer some of these questions that we've had, oh, I think one of the most beautiful things is we have people listening to this who have been probably been part of any of these 10 to 15 kinds of church governance here in America. And that's a beautiful thing. And as we come to this conversation, it's an exciting element of doing life and theology together. Mm. But let's let's think about Waypoint. How did we get to where we are today in terms of how did Waypoint get its present leadership structure? Right. The structure was originally based out of creating a church plant from the Summit Network. And so a lot of our original structure was based off of um, you know, materials such as stuff that come from Devers Church, um, stuff that came from other church plants. So it's really, we didn't want to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. So very early on, we just kind of kind of copy and pasted a lot of the structures that we saw Summit and other church plants doing. Mm-hmm. And Which so, were set up, prim- also, some of it was set up for a church plant, like mm-hmm. like in the church planning manual. Yeah. Right. And it, it was a great system, a great, we loved what uh, Waypoint was doing. We loved uh, the way other churches have done stuff and... Also, part of the fact that we uh, inherited through being part of the Summit Network, uh, being a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, mm-hmm. and so we wanted to, we had we kind of aligned with all of that as we were being a church plant together, and so towards that end, we were what we called um, Jesus led, elder ruled, congregationally accountable, mm-hmm. and so we had an elder board that we called elder board that operated as this kind of leadership overall leadership functioning board with the pastors being on that board. And that's kind of how the church was overall led at the time. But then we also, you know, as we did a little research, we started realizing that this, the Baptist version of elders is like a 30, less than 30-year-old experiment, and really like a 20-year-old experiment. Like where I looked up a stat the other day that in 2006, only 1% of Baptist Southern Baptist churches had the term elder in any of their constitution or bylaw documents. Yeah, I was so blown away when you sent that it's, to me. It's a very new phenomenon in Baptists in congregational churches. That's what we are. Mm-hmm. It's very common in Presbyterian in other Presbyterian and Episcopal forms of government. In Methodist churches or in Presbyterian churches, they have a a more formalized level where the the pastors or the the leaders, which are elder or bishop level, actually work for the denomination. They don't work for the local church. So if your friends who are Presbyterian, their pastor is part of the Presbytery, not part of the local church. His church is technically a group of pastors 
you know, and then the, there's there's a, a second tier of leaders that are like the lay leaders. So as this entered into congregationalism about 20, 25 years ago, it created some dilemmas that the other groups that had a, a more top-down denominational structure didn't have. So as we started sifting through it, we, we started talking to other people in the same predicament. We were like, what is the New Testament model and, and what's the best way moving forward? And we saw some really cool things about and some really important things that we were doing at Waypoint. And then we saw some things that maybe were just inferred or, or given to us, but weren't necessarily what we see in the New Testament and, and even what, what we've seen in historic congregational churches. So really our journey a few years back was we really wanted to affirm, encourage leadership from both men and women. Mm-hmm. And as we started really kind of diving into the idea of that, we invited a group of people to come together and start studying the Word, studying articles, um, really diving into this concept. And we wanted to be a church that was faithfully faithful to the Bible, but also true to what we believe God's, the beauty that God made us as men and women to lead the church together. Mm-hmm. And so as we were doing this, as we were studying, as we were reading, we kind of made some... Some realizations, you know, that even the idea of how we, the terminologies that we use, the vernacular that we use, and then is, is, is different, it's confusing. We, we put so much weight on our, through our cultural lens and on, on terms like even the, the idea of pastor. The, the term pastor is so loaded in our vernacular now, but in the, in the, it doesn't really truly exist that much in the New Testament. The title in particular, the office, doesn't really exist that much in the New Testament. But we carry it with so much a loaded weight now. It's more of a it's, gifting. It's a gifting. Yes. A shep- it, mean, it literally is the word shepherd. It only shows up one time as a noun in the New Testament. In Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4. And when it shows gifts. up, it's like some are some have this gift, the gift of prophecy. Some have the gift of, of teaching. Some have the gift of shepherding, which right. is the word, the Latin word pastor, which, which we get the pasture, which we get the word shepherd. And even the term elder that we use... Um, there's there's a couple words that people kind of interchange a little bit here with the elder is the idea of, of elder as an elder older person presbyterian or the, or elder as an overseer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the word overseer it shows up four times in the New Testament as a noun. The word elder shows up lots of times, but most of the time it just means an older person, a wiser person. So the office, so trying to discern offices office of elder or pastor in the New Testament is not like, there's no place where it says, this is how you run a church. This guy does this. This guy does that. This, this lady does this. This is what this is. There actually are no people attributed to the name elder in the whole New Testament. Like it doesn't say Paul, the elder, John, the deacon, you know, Matthew, the overseer, the bishop or whatever the word we use for overseer. It, It never... He just says, I'm Paul. The only place is John the Elder one time in one of the, the letters, which is probably to distinguish that John from maybe another John. So because they didn't use titles like we do. So even us saying like Pastor Danny or Pastor Lawrence, we think it'd be irreverent not to do. But Paul didn't call himself Elder Paul, Overseer Paul, Deacon, Deacon Stephen. They don't do that in the New Testament. So a lot of times with these words, we can get a lot from it. We know we need to have leadership structures in the church, but exactly how they flesh out has has been argued throughout church history. And especially during the Protestant era where Protestant era, it's like each person can go to the Bible and argue it for themselves and we can split and split and split into new churches if we don't if we disagree. 
And so what we did at Waypoint as the elder team, and as this team that we kind of commissioned to look into this, is we decided that we believe that God has made men and women different, but he's called them to be together in using their gifts, their 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 um, resources, everything about them, God's calling and using together to be instruments of kingdom advancement in the church. And to build the church and to be the church. And so we wanted to do that. And we looked at how our elder board functioned. We looked at how our ordained pastors functioned mm-hmm. and realized that in what we believe, reality, if we try to be as faithful to the New Testament text as we can, um, we realized that we just kind of felt like the role of ordained pastor seemed to be the ones who were the ordained overseers. That the the Timothy first Timothy three one, Titus one, the the Greek word episkopos, which only, which that's that's linked to that position at Waypoint. And really kind of kind of oversight of the the teaching, the doctrine of the church. If you see that practically, that's what kind of the ordained pastors are commissioned to do. And so we wanted to Realize that, well, that's a distinction that we believe that in the way that God made for some reason wanted that role to be for men only in his orderliness of creation. So then we further then saw that, well, then if we believe that God's affirmed and gifted women and men for these other elements of service for in every the church. Other, every other leadership role in the church. And so we would think, well, then we would want this leadership team, this council, um, to have the voices of men and women on it. So we can use and be blessed and by the, the gifts and resources of both men and women. And so we believe that this was being faithful as we're walking through Scripture. Um, it was edifying to the body, you know, so that people from all walks of life can speak into the guidance of the, of the, the resources and of the abilities of the church to move a certain way, while still also holding this certain role in office of um, episcopos for men only. And so that's kind of how we got to this whole conclusion. It was a years-long process. Six years. I mean, it wasn't overnight. This is something we've been praying about. We've been researching. We've commissioned studies. Uh, we've been kind of going forward with this. And we've just recently come to the place where we are now ready to go forward with what we believe is something that's faithful to Scripture, um, edifying to our body, and affirming to all the men and women in our church. Very cool how there's been this desire to really affirm and um, equip and have a space for the gifts and experiences and voices of women, all the while kind of looking at our current church structure and saying, okay, what does the Bible call us to and how do we live this out? And as we've explored already, like a lot of churches have landed in different places and and so there is this sense in which we are um, approaching this new leadership structure with a sense of, okay, God, what are you calling to us to as a local church and as a church leadership? So with this proposed change, one of the questions that's come up is, will the overseers or episcopos, as we're kind of... Uh, uh, using that Greek word, uh, will they have less accountability if no lay people or um, on rare occasions, maybe there was a lay ordained um, overseer, if there aren't lay people with the title of elder any longer, will those overseers or episcopos have less accountability? So all, 
answer the formal answer that we actually prayed about and wrote on the question and answer that we sent out. And then Lawrence, I'd like for Lawrence to give a little commentary and even Peter, you give your thoughts. So under the proposed changes, the staff overseers, and again, this word overseer is what we're saying is, is the Greek word that sometimes is parallel to elder, episkopos. But as we translate the bishop. Bishop. It's the, it's the word bishop historically. The NIV and the ESV change it to overseer to kind of not confuse people with the Catholic church. But in, in the Bible, the highest spiritual leader in a local church or in a local area is this word. And then it seems like elder is sometimes linked to this word, but then sometimes linked to some other roles like a, a more key le- local leader. And different churches split these in different ways. But we're saying this role, uh, these which right now is the three of us. At Waypoint, we're considered the, what we would call the ordained pastors— or the, the staff elders that we're filling this biblical role. But it, under the proposed changes, the staff overseers will have more accountability as the leadership council will directly replace the accountability structure of the president elder board and add some additional structures related to human resources and staff care. It will also add a few more people to the board which can provide additional resources and accountability. So actually, even though the word overseer seems scary, because it seems, even though that's always the word, it seems more more powerful than the word elder. But actually, they're interchangeable in the text in the part that we're talking about. But we're actually we're 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 saying this new structure. We we have even more accountability because there's more people on the board, more people that we're accountable to, and that board actually has more oversight over the staff, taking some of that from us in a good way. We think this is a good thing as our staff grows. We need more people caring for the staff and caring for us. It's a mutual caring for. Like so, so actually, I, I promise you, if you really look at it, we're 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 adding more accountability and even giving away a little more of our ability to be a congregational church and, and let the congregation and people speak, leaders, lay leaders speak into our leadership of the church. Ultimately speaking, our church is right now considered a congregational church. So what that means is the ultimate authority has been, still is, the congregation. So that's, and I, I venture to say, I made a joke the other day, other than like the Catholic Church, pretty much most churches in all of America are congregational churches in essence, right? Mm-hmm. But what that really means is the ultimate authority and power lies in the congregation at large. The lay elders, or the lay pastors, I mean, or not the lay pastors, the ordained pastors, sorry, the Episcopals, is only has the power that is given to them, bestowed upon them, by the congregation. And so they're operating in this position by the authority of the congregation. You know, so the reality is, is that I know it sounds like a bigger word, episkopos or the, uh, the overseer, but in essence, it's very similar to the structure that we've always had, we've always have, have had. You know, the only difference is that we actually have more people now on the leadership council that can represent the congregation and the whole to hold accountable, more to encourage, to to share responsibility. And we're really excited about men and women being in this role because 56% of our our members are women. And we need male and female voices, and we need multiple perspectives, different ages, different life experiences, speaking into the life of our church and, and how we lead. And we're, we as as the Episcopos, as the, the kind of the, the, the pa- ordained pastors of the church— our job is to defend and, and to preserve the doctrine, but 
but we also are part of this larger, we are a congregational church. We're not a top-down, we're not a Presbyterian church, and we're not a Episcopal Methodist type church. That's our structure. So it's, it's, it's how we feel like if we're going to be congregational, this is the way to be congregational and line up with the text. And we, we're really excited about this, and we think it's a good thing. We think it's good to have multiple layers of accountability and leadership, and, and the church should be a place of mutual encouragement teaching. But there, do, there does need to be a few people who, just to quote the passage from Titus 1, he says, uh, must hold firm to the, trust, to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. So at the highest level, our job is to just make sure that the church is continuing to be faithful to the mission of God and God's word. Then the rest of it is really up to the congregation, all of us, to build the kingdom together. It's not the three of us in this room job to do that. It's everyone's job. God, Jesus gave the Great Commission to all believers. He poured out a spirit upon men and women. Your sons and daughters will prophesy and proclaim the good news. We just, we're just getting to be stewards of that, but we need men and women working together with us, and that's why we're really excited about this proposal. As a congregational church, we think this, this is going to be really beautiful. I recognize that a lot of this conversation revolves around words and how we define those words and those titles. And so just to come back to that word overseer, I know that it is somewhat of, it feels a little bit loaded because it sounds, it has the word over in it. (laughs) And um, can you point us to, would you, is it accurate to say that, the reason we've used that word in some of these documents is to make a link to the biblical word. And that's, that's the pure reason that that's we've used it. That's the only that. reason. Is uh, if it wasn't, we wouldn't use that word. We would rather <laughs> use the word bishop, but that might confuse people too. I would much rather be called a bishop. Yeah, Just learn. throw that out there. <laughs> so in the day-to-day life of the church, it, that's probably not a word that we're going to hear a lot. Never. We're just going to say the ordained pastors. The problem is, like we said earlier, the term pastor, pastor teacher is a gifting. And we believe men and women have that gift. The list in Ephesians 4, prophecy, evangelism, teaching, shepherding, men and women have that gift and are supposed to exercise that gift in church. So in essence, the term pastor should be more spread out and distributed to more people in the body. But for some reason around the 1960s or whatever, they dropped the name reverend and minister and everybody became low church and switched the switched the vernacular to pastor became the highest pastor was kind of a slang term like more of a the, the, pastor was a slang term or not a slang term but more a little more not the formal term like yeah. but it's okay because we're we're not fighting over words here we're trying to build a local church but we also we're using these words to be faithful to the text so someone says well why don't we have elders why don't we have this if people want us, and then people are like, I want to be faithful to the text, we're trying to, we're trying to do that. So we're using the words that the text uses just to be consistent. I want to either be called Bishop or Right Reverend. <laughs> no. Bishop Lawrence. I'm just throwing it out there. Just, okay. I'll, that sounds kind of cool to me. <laughs> so in practical terms, we're referring to the ordained pastors. And would this be an accurate statement that... When we think about responsibilities and what 
the distinction might be between the ordained pastors and the leadership council that the ordained pastors have been given the weight of responsibility for guarding and protecting the teaching of the church. And what we are proposing is that they do it in the context of serving on a larger leadership council that provides guidance, accountability, and encouragement. Yes. Yes. We're congregational, so so technically the congregation could just call a meeting and keep us accountable every day. But we've chosen as a congregational church, the congregation votes to give some of the authority of this direct interaction with the, the ordained pastors and the staff to a smaller group of people who are committed to a three-year term to really pray and commit to that so that we can run the church well. And when we need to do something, the staff generally run the, the do the ministry, do the teaching. They're, they're, they, we've assigned them and or commissioned them and given them the responsibility. And, and we're staff too. We, we as the ordained pastors are also staff. But this next group of people, that, which we're calling the Leadership Council, that, which is parallel to our present elder board, has the opportunity to speak directly in without us having to continually call congregational meetings and congregational votes over and over and over again. So it's in, in the past, Baptists created the deacon board. That would be the, until this shift of calling it elder, and like I said, it happened about 20, 25 years ago, it was, it was the, the pastors and the deacon board who helped run the church so that you didn't have to have a congregational meeting every time you wanted to talk about something. And one simple way to look at it is the ordained pastors are just one, each of them are just one vote or one voice in the leadership board, you know? So they're, and they're always outnumbered. There will always be more lay leaders on the board than there are ordained pastors. And we set that up intentionally as Waypoint. We didn't have to set it up that way. We could have set it up differently, but we felt like that's the best way to that's the we feel like if we're gonna be if we're gonna land on the congregational model, which church history is not on our side. The congregational model is brand only started in Europe when people became individualistic. Look at like when the French Revolution starts and the American Revolution, then all of a sudden churches wanted to be independent. So for those who are like, we're riding a cultural wave on stuff, I'm like, our whole system is based on a cultural wave. <laughs> so other churches don't function like this in collective areas of the, of the world. So, but to be congregational, we, we want to be faithful to the text. And we feel like there is a biblical defense of congregationalism. So we're not, a, that's why we're, we're sticking with it. We're not presenting Presbyterianism or, or, or the Episcopal form of church government. At the same time, we feel like if we're going to be congregational, there are passages that talk about how leadership should work, and we want to be as faithful to that. But plus, we also need to be logical and pragmatic. We're not going to call a members meeting every time we need to talk about stuff. You guys are empowering us to do this, but we do need direct accountability and encouragement as we grow as a church. The staff need this, and the ordained pastors need this as part of the staff. I think you brought up a good question that some people have asked, and is it and that's, are we making these changes to appease a group of people or to appease culture? Yeah. I've heard that question before. And what, first of all, this is a bit something we've been discussing for the past six years. So this is not something like, oh, somebody's complained or, oh, culture. This is something that we've been wrestling with because we truly believe as we're being faithful to the Scripture and faithful to live out what the Holy Spirit is guiding us and calling us to do in our community, that we've come face to face with these questions of, what is what does it look like in the church body to esteem and to affirm and to love and to encourage giftings of both men and women in the church? 
What does it look like to flesh out the New Testament church now, in this time, in this society, in this place? So we're not doing this to appease anybody. You know, if that was the case, then we'd be doing changing a lot more of other things. Mm-hmm. We're doing this because we want to be faithful to the Scripture. And um, honor the men and women, and, and honor the text. And mm-hmm. how do we need men and women leading in all these various capacities? Yeah. yeah. So I, and my other thing is, I would honestly argue it's the opposite of what people are accusing. This question is, I would argue that the reason why most churches have so many male leaders is because of a cultural wave. That's historically. You can even look, I can show, if somebody wants to show, I'll show you the historical moments when women got the right to vote. The church hunkered down. They were scared. When women, in, in various times in history, the church reacts, un, I would say unbiblically, because they're afraid of the culture. And I would say part of why women are not allowed to be in these lay positions, yes, there's a biblical defense of it, but you can look at how the culture influenced the desire to it. So I would say almost like our, our thing is like we're just looking at the text itself. And we're also looking at the global church. And we, we've, we've been to London. We've been to Gambia. We've been to these other places and, and seeing like how did when they get to this text, how do they interpret it? And they're not interpreting it through an American cultural lens that's afraid of this cultural trend or that cultural trend. They're seeing it differently. So I would almost argue that we're, we're, we think that some of the positions that we inherited were because of a cultural wave and not because of what the text actually says. And if, if people want to get in, come, come to this Bible study thing. And you can get more details on, on kind of what I'm talking about this. And I'd love, to, love to share thing? more. <laughs> Yeah, t- oh, it, oh sorry. I thought we've already study. introduced it. Yeah. yeah, so the next kind of town hall type thing is going to be an actual Bible study. Let's dig into the text. We're going to look at the four Greek words, and we're going to spend some time digging into the text. Just It's, it's a beautiful exercise. This is kind of a Waypoint Academy one-off, you know, one-off class, where you can come, and, and we're just going to look, and I'll actually have my computer up with the Greek words. and I mean, you'll have the English translation, but we'll look at the Greek words. We'll look at how they're used and, and how the New Testament treats it, and, and, and we'll get a, a better picture of how theology is done and how different, why we, why we disagree on how to run a church. It's a you good know. look at hermeneutics of art of interpretation. So we see how Scripture interprets Scripture. Yeah. We see how we believe in a good, solid biblical theology. Yeah. Um, and how it all plays together. So it's a good practice for you guys to come and see how do we interpret? And the hermeneutics is such a key part of formulating our theology and our doctrine. So I think it'd be a good practice for whoever interested in coming, come and come and let's dive into this text together. So yeah, we'll set the date and send out the information for that. More for information guys. to come. Okay, let's let's get real practical about this. We have the ordained pastors serving in collaboration and counsel of this uh, as part of this larger leadership council that includes both men and women. How will that play out in the day to day, week to week, month to month operations of the church? So, to be honest with you, in most things, it, it won't be that evident to most people the difference. Mainly because initially. Um, most of the, a lot of the day-to-day functions of the, how a church runs is run by the staff. You know, the leadership of the church, the membership of the church has empowered the staff to run some of the basic day-to-day operations of the church. And actually all the teaching and shepherding, the, the highest level is run by the staff, and then another layer is run by lay people who are community group ministries or other, other ministries. So that won't, 
Yeah, the, yeah. the difference is, is the leadership council will be able to care a little better for the staff. Our present elder board was frustrated because they wanted to care more for the staff, but they were limited in size and capacity to do that. So the present structure is the leadership council has a little bit more is desire to, to care for the staff who are doing the day-to-day -day ministry of the church. And we don't bring the, we don't bring the present elder board into every decision. If, if three staff members can kind of deal with something, they deal with it. it the elder board comes in when it's, it's the finances of the church, the yearly finance thing, and then major things that we really, that the staff or the ordained pastors need, we need to bring in another, another voice. But the day-to-day -day is, is generally the staff. And then the, the, the elder, present elder board and, and what will be the leadership council if, if this passes will be they serve a three-year term, but the, the commitment is to meet twice a month. One, one meeting is a little more focused on prayer. We hear prayer requests from the church and pray. The other meeting is a little more focused on business if we have to have more meetings. But under the new structure, we're kind of excited about this, is different leadership council members might have some different responsibilities. So the finance, the people who are helping me with finance as the executive pastor that are helping me, not everyone has to go to the full finance thing. We'll kind of meet as a smaller group, do the, the nitty gritty, and then present the bigger stuff to the larger group to save time so we can focus more on key issues at hand other than some nitty gritty on, on say, the finances. So we're, so we're really excited about this, this structure. So that brings up a question. If the leadership council is replacing the elder board in um, kind of this accountability structure, uh, will the leadership council have any authority over the spiritual direction of the church? Or will their work shift to be more administrative and operational? Uh, they will definitely have both. And to our present elder board, like during COVID, we, it was way more operational. I mean, I guess there was some. And, and when we were trying to find a building, like they were like real estate agents more than, you know what I'm saying? So every church, no matter what you want to say, if you have a board and it's just a single board, you don't have a separate trustees that just focus on management, they're going to have a little bit of both. But according to the bylaw change, they will have the ability to present to the ability to work with this, the, the proposal from the staff and the ordained pastors on theological issues, and they would be the final vote. Yes, that would be the final vote. Uh, at the same time, if, it's, if it needs to be a congregational vote, they're just part of the staff and the ordained pastors who are part of the staff present it to the leadership council. They come up with a proposal and then present that to the congregation. So it'll, it'll look very similar Sometimes it will be a little more managerial. We hope that the managerial stuff with this new format will be done in smaller committee type things so that just the big picture needs to be kind of voted on or presented uh, with staff and with the leadership council. As we get bigger, we can do that. But yes, though, but ultimately the leadership council, ultimately we're a congregational church. So all we're doing is saying that instead of having a congregational meeting every time, the congregation is giving the authority to the leadership council to do this. Uh, some people have accused saying like, I, we only think men should have the highest leader authority in the church. And it's been Andrew Wilson, a, a prominent Baptist in England who actually is taking the same position we're presenting in our, our present bylaw proposal, points out as a Baptist, as a congregationalist, that every congregational church, unless you don't let women vote, 
that men aren't the highest authority in the church. Men the con- and men women. and women are the highest authority in the church. So we would be hypocrites if that's if that's our interpretation of the Timothy passage, then you should be in a church that does not let that that doesn't have congregationalism because that would be violating the very scriptural principle that you're upholding. Now I know there's there's some pushback but generally so, so that's what we're really excited about this leadership council because it, it, it provides a way for us as a congregational church to have strong accountability. And we're taking, it's, we're congregational, but we take from lots of different traditions in lots of different ways because we're part of the global body of church, the body of Christ. And I know one of the things that we're thankful for in this proposal and excited about is as our staff has grown, there's just a need to care for staff and with including both men and women mm-hmm. and just i uh, was hoping maybe you could speak to how does this new structure provide a better opportunity for that well so currently speaking um it we don't have women on our current elder board right. so i think having women on our leadership board helps out our staff that are women mm-hmm. i think it's just kind of obvious in, in, in how that would be effective and so i think once again, it's affirming and needing all the voices that we need. You know, it, we need uh, the men's voices, women's voices. We need older, younger. We need a variety of voices to help run a diverse church body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so we're really excited about this. And originally how we ended up with this proposal that we're presenting was because two a year and a half ago at a congregational meeting, we realized that we needed to create a committee of men and women to care for the staff because our staff had grown to that point. So this is kind of an amalgamation of that at looking at the text and saying this would be the best way forward. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's say we're going to have a— this proposal would have a larger team because our current lay elders will be part of the team and then adding women as well. With more people, there's more opportunity for maybe disagreements or disunity. Um, how would the leadership council deal with disagreements or lack of u- unity that's not just a difference of opinions if that comes up? Well, preferably the same way we've, we've always dealt with it, with humility, uh, with the Spirit's guidance, with the desire for unity and love. Um, our desire is just because we get a little bit bigger, we don't want to take away from those core values that we have in our leadership. And so those are what we want in our leadership. Um, we still would operate the same way and that we've been in regards to unanimity. Uh, is it unanimity? Unanimous? I don't know. I don't know how you say unanimous that. Vote. Unanimous vote. <laughs> and so we want to be able to say that. And when I say unanimous vote, what I don't mean is that we always 100% agree with we're each not, other. We're not like a jury, like... At the same time, we're not like the Supreme Court where we can be like, okay, vote. Danny Lawrence voted this way, but Peter and so-and-so and so-and-so voted this way, and we both write why we voted. We don't do that. We come to – so the people who say, like, I'm, I'm a little unsure about this, but I'm going to yield to the majority. We, we try to present it in a way, and we always bring the staff in or any lay people who are involved in the issue so we can present it very clearly – why we're presenting this. So nor- hopefully by the time we've presented something, we feel like this is where God is calling us. So we're, we're kind of unified in the decision. Uh, but yes, there could be even the letter we sent out today, you know, just just sometimes there, there, there have been very few disagreements on our elder board, but on tier two issues, sometimes 
people disagree and we just have to trust God with that and, and just say, we'll, we'll work through it. Yeah. As a congregational church, this is what we signed up for. If we were one of the other models, the, the leaders tell us what to do and we do it and we have no say in it. But to be congregational, we're, we're opening up this. But we think it's a beautiful thing, too, because we think that the congregation is, is owning the leadership of the church. Yeah. So is the leadership council as a whole, let me make sure we're still recording here. Okay. Is the leadership council as a whole essentially an overseer in power? Because this is a question people have had. Say that again. Practically speaking. Like one overseer. Uh, that's not the right way to look at it because that's not the way the New Testament presents it. If you read, if you read Romans 16 and just look at all the names, you look at how the New Testament presents the different offices. I mean, there's no, it's just... A group of people lead the church, and I believe that the New Testament is men and women doing it mm-hmm. with, with a couple of people that have the highest protection authority and then everyone else. So I would say it's, it, it's, not, function, it's, it's not like a single bishop or something. But, it, I mean, it could be perceived that way, but that's not how we're thinking about and it. And I would say the role of leader, when we use that term leader, I think, we've, I think there are people in this world who've messed up what leader looks like and what a leader is. Yeah. We want to model the example of Jesus as leader. Yeah. And leader means sacrificial. Yeah. It means service. You know, and so what we're asking from our leadership council is to serve and to sacrifice. Yeah. You know, and so it's not for esteem. It's not to build up a name or not to say I'm in charge. It's to be we're asking our ordained pastors, we're asking our leadership council to be like Jesus and sacrifice first. Um to to serve first. Yeah. I think that's so good because I think it's easy in these conversations to think about it in terms of power because that's how we often, when we hear leader, we think of power in our culture. And so much of this conversation is not centered around power so much as God-given roles and responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And as we approach this kind of bylaw change, I think one beautiful thing is we're, we're saying we believe that God's given uh, ordained pastors a, a, a weight of responsibility in the direction and um, protection of the teaching of the church. And we're also seeing we need the voices and experiences and giftings of women alongside us in helping us do that. And so um, in many ways, I, I, I see we've struggled with charts to represent this structure because so many charts look like a power pyramid. Mm-hmm. And, and I, we ended up coming to the conclusion that we needed four different charts to express this because yeah. different ways the, the leadership council functions. Yeah, there's different ways to look at it. Yeah. And I think one of the most helpful things for me as I think about my role in all of this is I see myself as an ordained pastor and I have this leadership council surrounding me, um, giving me encouragement, accountability, helping me make decisions with the team as a team and this beautiful collaboration that I think, as Danny points to, we see all throughout the New Testament. So I'm excited um, to kind of wrap up this conversation. Um, How do you see this proposal helping us be more faithful to our calling as a local church? 
So I'm excited about what we're doing here. I think God is working intentionally to establish us and our systems in place so that we're fully equipped to do the work that he's calling us to do. You know, he's, he's giving us the blessings of men and women in leadership and their resources and their abilities so that we can partner together and be the body that reaches our community and the nations. And so I'm excited about what this means. I know there's some growing pains. I know this is kind of, we're, it's not the easiest type of discussions to have, but I think it's very intentional. You know, and God is doing something and preparing us and shaping and molding us to be the church that he's calling us to be. And so I'm excited about it. Waypoint Church, there's a bright future of God using our church to, to plant other churches and to reach our community. So I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, I just would challenge people to read Romans 16 mm-hmm. and just look at that list. People love Romans, and they and Romans ends with this beautiful list of men and women that Paul calls to be the church with him, and he greets all of them, and they're, they're the church, and he, he urges them to, to just press on. And, and he says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, and the, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. And he, he just gives them this encouragement, and, he, and, I, and I feel like sometimes we forget that it's about the proclamation of the good news. That's what the church is for. It's, it's to be a local body that loves God and loves others. And I feel like this change allows us to do that and to be faithful to the text. And it, I'm just excited. And whatever happens on the vote, if you guys, you know, we're, we're going to trust God with it. But we, we feel really good about it. And we're thankful that we're always reforming. We're always trusting God. We're always yielding to the Spirit. And that's what it means to be a local church. And that's what it means to be congregational, that all of us are, are trusting God with, with the local church that he's called us to. Yeah, I'm I'm excited because ultimately we do believe that the church is Jesus ruled and we want to follow him in really whatever structure we end up with as Waypoint Church. We want Jesus to be glorified. And for me personally, having just joined the staff here at Waypoint, I've been part of three elder teams prior to this one. And this is something that I've longed for is a way to be a a, a church structure that, uh, a proposal that includes the voices and experiences of women and, um, and is faithful to scripture. And I think, I think we're on to something here. And so I'm excited. Thanks for having this conversation with us. If you have any questions or you want to have a continued conversation about anything we talked to about, please reach out and, um, May Jesus be glorified as we continue to do theology and pursue the mission of the church together. Love you guys. Amen. Have a great week.